Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. More like you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tash. Thank you so much. Enjoy the worship this morning. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's good to worship God, isn't it? Yeah. It is good. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm just back from two or three days in Manchester over ministering at a conference there. And one of, the, one of the interesting things, one of the keynote speakers there was a guy called Brady Boyd. And Brady um, leads New Life Church in Arkansas. And um, 35,000 people over six locations, um, three different languages they, they, they have their services in. But he said that one of the things on a Q&A that we were in, um, he, asked, he was asked the question, what, what, what would you put down to the success or, or, or the, the dynamic living of your church? And this is what he said was communion. They, they, they do communion every Sunday every Sunday, and um, I was thinking 35,000, <laughs> setting that up might take a little while, so uh, it'd be good fun, but, um, but uh, and, and it was quite interesting actually in the room full of leaders how many people don't do communion, how many churches just don't do communion, and how they've lost the art of actually relationship and communion with God. So it's a special thing to worship God, and that's why we don't do it as a, just something that we need to put in our um, service as an agenda. It's a communion where we remember the Lord, and it's very powerful. You know that we were, we're on this journey looking at discipleship, which is quite exciting, and we've defined it by the, the, uh, on the screen following Jesus in all of your life. And we've been talking a little bit about that, how that happens in all of your life, in your, as a parent, as a, as a student, as a whatever. And, 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 and what, what I've tried to do over the last, last week and this week, and will do for a few weeks to come is talk about our prayer lives, which is really, really important, because discipleship is a process through which people grow, um, and, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and develop us as people. And uh, last week, I talked about the platform for prayer. I talked about how the platform for prayer is need. And if all of us were really honest today, we would say we struggle with our prayer lives, you know. Um, not last St. Patrick's Day, but the St. Patrick's Day before, a friend of mine uh, said, uh, who I cycle a little bit with, said, what about going for a, a cycle ride? Lorraine was working, um, and uh, so I said, okay, let's do that. So we called at the house, and we went out, headed out in the bike, and we cycled down into Moira, and we took right at Moira, and the next thing we knew, we were in Hillsborough. And I thought, well, there's a couple of nice wee coffee shops in Hillsborough. We'll get a coffee and we'll cycle home. My friend said to me, he said, well, we'll, Mom, we'll go a wee bit further. And the next thing, we ended up in Cumber. And um, so when we ended up in Cumber, um, I thought, how am I ever going to get home? But um, that was my initial thought. And then he, in his wonderful wisdom, talked me into cycling to Belfast from Cumber to Belfast. There's a little towpath. I didn't know that along from Cumber to Belfast. And we got to Belfast and... We sussed out another coffee shop, and then we, we, we decided, uh, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm actually still in Belfast, and I'm on my bike, and I'm busted, and um, we, we cycled the towpath back to Lisburn, but by the time I got back to Lisburn, I was flat. 
It was like all energy was gone. And eventually, with a lot to do, I made it to Moira. And when I got to Moira, I thought, Moira being God's place, I couldn't go any further. Isn't that right, Zoe? Um, I couldn't go any further. I was just, I'd hit a wall. Anybody ever hit a wall in their prayer life? <laughs> Anybody ever hit a wall in their life where they just think they, they can't go on or they're not dead sure how to actually move past this? And um, so my friend, he carries these um, glucose lozenges. I think I ate half a packet. And I said to him, look, you go on home. I'm going to lie on the grass. And there was a big grassy bank on the Lurgan Road. And I lay on that grassy bank for half an hour till I felt I could get enough energy to get home. I've never done that again, I can tell you. So when we go cycling, I said, um, I set a limit. I said, 20 mile, 20 mile. That's it. After that, I want at the end of 20 mile, I want to be home, not thinking about home. So, uh, so we, we, it's, it's easy sometimes in our prayer lives to hit a wall. And so Paul, actually, we, we looked at this passage last week. We looked at how Paul is telling us not to be afraid, not to get anxious, not to get into all kinds of stress when you hit a wall. Don't get worried about it. Don't get that anxiety overrule you. Don't let your enemies overcome you. Um, and next Lord's Day, I'm going to talk to you around the table, and I'm going to talk to you about not allowing your enemies to come, how the Lord prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. That's a little cliffhanger for you, but we're not going there this week. And so what he's saying is he's saying that in every situation, in everything, by prayer, all right, and petition, which is another form of prayer, and thanksgiving, which is another form of prayer, present, or your authorized version will use the little word, be made. Let these things be made to God, all right? Let your requests be made known to God, another form of prayer. And he says, there's a promise that's given. This promise is that the peace of God, who transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your prayers and minds in Christ Jesus. So prayer displays dependence on God. So, so we pray to kill anxiety and cultivate peace. Peace, not peace. All right? We pray to kill anxiety and cultivate peace. That's how we pray. And so there are many Greek nouns. Some say there's seven or eight Greek nouns for prayer. Um, but, um, and, and you can see here there are four different types of prayer mentioned on the screen as we've talked about. But prayer, this idea of it being made. So I was talking about prayer yesterday, and I had to be really very careful. In Manchester, I, I couldn't talk about prayer because I had to talk about prayer. It's like two words, like power. So there you go. So we can talk about prayer, and you'll know what I'm talking about, all right? And um, so, so in First Thessalonians 5, 17, there's this, little, this, there's this little verse that says, to pray, this is interesting now, to pray without ceasing. Interesting. So Paul, writing to the church at um, at, Thessalon, at Thessalonica is saying, make sure you pray without ceasing. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. He's saying that the idea is, if you look this up in the Greek, you'll find what it means is a, a, a continuous hackly cough. You know that? <coughs> I'm going to get one now. You know that you just can't get rid of? No, Tony, I don't want any water. Um, so, so it's this, this idea of 
of, of continual repeated action, a fre frequent hacking cough. That's what this praying without ceasing means, where it just keeps going and going and going. And so there's this idea that Paul had learned to do this. And one of the reasons that we looked last week how Paul had learned to do this was by being content in all his circumstances. He said whatever was going on in his life, he had learned contentment. He'd learned that, that this was in every situation, whether he was hungry or, or in plenty. He, he said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul had this idea. Paul prays in everything. I said this last week, and it's good, all right? So I noted it. He said, pray, Paul prays in everything because he trusted a promise that corresponds to everything. He prays in every circumstance because he has a promise that he said this, my God will supply every need. And here's the idea, under, over, in every prayer that we will ever mention, God gives us the promise of himself. There's something about that, isn't there? So God actually allows us himself. And so this is really important that we understand that because the ultimate secret of contentment is knowing him. And so our prayer life, if you, were to, if you were to call prayer one thing, you'd call it this. You'd say prayer is relationship, isn't it? Prayer is relationship. So something about, there's something about relationship. There's something about interacting with a holy God. There's something about God and you participating in this together. And so that's why I want to talk to you a little bit about this thing, the call to intercession. Remember last week I said I wanted to bring you beyond your shopping list prayer life? All of us have had them at times, but there's something about calling you beyond just praying for yourself. And this is where intercession comes in. So I want to explain to you the word intercession um, this morning, if I may. Now, um, when Paul writes to, the, to, to Timothy, um, he writes this, he says, I urge you, which is a strong connotation of beg, he said, I beg you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, note the four again, be made for all people. And then he tells us to pray for kings, for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior. So there's something about that. And so you notice those, I'll highlight them, there they go. There's the four types again, petitions, um, and, and intercession, thanksgiving, prayers, all of these things God's telling us to do. Now, just to give you a little bit of baseline for this, there's loads of scriptures I could take from now to the finished line to give you all the scriptures about intercession. Here's a few. This is one. This was my mom's favorite uh, in Romans 8, and it says that uh, it calls us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Not cool? So we we, we do not know how we ought or what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. My mom used to say this. You've heard me say this before if you've been about. If you can't pray, you can groan. <laughs> if ever you're in a place where you can't pray, groan. Because he said the Spirit can take even the groanings, and he says he searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God 
uh, for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Here's another one in Ezekiel 22. This is, this is, I looked for someone among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap. Intercession, that's another word for it. Uh, on behalf of the land, so I would not destroy or have to destroy it. And he says, but, oh, dear, dear, I found no one. This prayer intercession is a bit like, you know, if you can imagine standing in the gap in the Scripture is, is where you actually step in between the God and the, the thing, and the person you're praying for. That's what it means to stand in the gap. So when Moses came down the mountain and God said, I'm going to wipe the people out, I'm going to build you a brand new nation for yourself, Moses jumps into the gap between the people and between God, and he reminds God, first and foremost, of that he needs to be consistent with who he is. <laughs> Pretty bold. He says, God, this is not who you are. And after all, these are not my people, these are your people. And God, you can't destroy them because the nations of the world will just say, some God you are took them out of slavery and you couldn't look after them in the wilderness. And it says God repented. Hmm, it's a big subject, all right? And it's the Old Testament mention of repent. It's not our New Testament metanoia. Um, it, it means that God changed his mind. God actually changed his mind through the intercession of a man. Now, let's, we'll, we'll go on with that. We'll talk a wee bit more about that in a moment. Here's another verse in Isaiah 59. Again, God's offended. If, if God can get offended, I'm sure he's not offended. But he's, 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 he's displeased. It says, the Lord looked and was displeased. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intercede. God is looking for intercessors. Now, um, I read an interesting little story this week, 1992, just for all of you who go to um, Slave Donard and take a photo of the wee duck and saying, oh, here, I'm spending a lovely night here, all right? Well, there's a story, and you can find this in Google, actually. In 1992, there was a liner, there was a cargo ship left Hong Kong to go to America, and they met these boys in Hong Kong, and the, this cargo ship left Hong Kong and was going to America, and it had a storm. And the storm was so violent that one of the big freak waves hit the cargo ship, and some of the, some of the containers tipped into the sea. And one of those containers had 28,000 rubber ducks in it. And the Pacific Ocean is one of the deepest oceans in the world, four mile deep in some places. And so when this container hit the bottom, the pressure of all these little rubber duckies filled with air, the pressure burst the container asunder and all these 28,000 wee rubber ducks floated to the top. And... Um, and, and they were all over the place. And it says this, it says, some of them washed up on the shores of Hawaii, Alaska, South America, Australia, the Pacific Northwest, others found in the Atlantic, uh, uh, in the frozen Atlantic ice. Some made their way as far as Scotland, Newfoundland, right into the Atlantic Ocean, these boys. They're actually reckoned to this day, there's still a few thousand of them unaccounted for. So if you ever see a wee rubber duck, and you're uh, out at Newcastle or anything, you'll know. Now, now here, here's my point. Here's my point. Prayer is like that. Prayer is a bit like that. It, it starts off directive, but it can go, if we understand how to pray. If we understand how to pray without ceasing, how to stand in the gap and understand. So, so what happens is you pray for a little child coming to, coming to kids' work. 
And that child gets saved. That child goes home, tells mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy come to church. Mommy, mommy and daddy get saved. They tell the rest of their family. An aunt and an uncle get saved. They tell their neighbors in the street. The next thing, you've got a whole community which just seemed to be a little directive prayer for a little child. All of a sudden, there's rubber ducks everywhere. They're floating all over the place. This is what prayer is like. This is what our prayer life should be. We should realize that when we, when we are directive with our prayer life, that God has more than just that in, in his mind. So when, when one of my family a number of years ago was going through a very difficult time, and I was interceding for the, this member of my family, I was interceding and interceding for them, and all of a sudden, something began to happen to them, and something began to happen to all the people around them, and the next thing, God began to move in a whole influence that I actually wasn't praying for. There was wee rubber ducks everywhere. That's what our prayer life should be, and there's something very powerful about this. So, so I, I, we, we all know this, that treasures in deep places. I got a couple of prophetic words about this when I was away, so this is pretty dear to my heart about treasure in deep places. And, and you know that we're created to be participators. We were never created to be consumers. And I hate that word. I hate that, that word consumer. I hate that the fact that we become a consumeristic society and everything's throw away. Everything's just use it and throw it away. And so we, we, what, what happens in the natural often happens in the spiritual. And we come to church with a consumeristic mindset. And we think, didn't Adrian do well this morning? Wasn't the worship nice? Well, the worship wasn't nice. The worship was about glorifying God. The worship's not meant to be for you. The worship is about glory to God. And that's what Adrian did as he led us this morning. Or you could go home and say, well, didn't Phil preach a nice, oh, please don't do that, a nice message. No, we're, we've got to penetrate our hearts because God doesn't want to be, as consumer, be consumers. Actually, when God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, in the, in the, in the perfect setting, he created them to work. He created him to co-partner. He said, here's, here's a little plot, but I want you to do this. I want you to subdue it. Look at that word subdue sometimes. It means take what you have and make it greater. Take what you have and make it expansive. And so, so what, what happened was Adam would do this. He would work all day. God would actually come down and commune with him at the close of the day and say, well, Adam, and Adam, I'm sure, would take him out and say, well, do you see what he's done today? There was always participation, you say. So we're, we're called to participate with God. So you're praying. Now, this, this, I'm, I'm going somewhere deeper with this. You'll see in a moment. And we're going to look at this whole idea of... Now, a few years ago when Daniel was a wee boy, Daniel's a great swimmer. And he learned to swim when he was just a wee boy. And we were in holidays, and Warwick actually gave me a packet of diving rods. I don't know if you've ever seen diving rods or not. But you fire them into the pool... And they sink to the bottom, and then they sort of sit straight up. There's a weight in the bottom, and they sit straight up, and you dive into the pool to get these diving rods. And so we were, I was throwing these in, and Daniel was going in. We were in the shallow end, and Daniel was going in. And of course, he was venturing down into the deep end. The deep end of the pool was maybe six, eight foot deep. And when we got to the, that end of the pool, we fired one in, and he jumps in, but he came up without it. And, and every time he tried to go down, he couldn't go that deep. So I says to him, son, oh, maybe I'm recorded here. I says to him, son, I could get myself in trouble. I says, son, hold your breath. And I put my hand on his head like this here, and I pushed him <laughs> down in under the water. And down he goes in under the water, and up he comes with a rod. 
and he's spitting and spluttering. And he goes, Dad, I got it. Do it again. So I fired it in. He, he went down again. He couldn't get down. So I said, hold your breath again. So boom, down he goes. Up he comes with a rod. You see, sometimes to get to the places that God wants us to get to, we need a little hand. Sometimes he has to push us into deep places, you see. And here's the, here's the thing. Now, Daniel didn't want to stay down there. And I didn't want him to stay down there. All right? But there was something to be found when he got there. Some of these places that God pushes us to in our prayer lives are not places we live for forever. We couldn't live in them. But, but God, God, in His wisdom, as He molds and makes us for training for reigning, He allows us to go into the deep places, the hurtful places, the places that if you were writing your book, you would leave that chapter out. And God pushes into those places because He brings treasure out of deep places. And there's something about this in our prayer lives as we begin to understand this, that, that God um, allows us to have these what I call now I know moments. He did this with Abram in Genesis 22. Don't lay your hand on the land. now, because now I know. Now I know that you love me. God pushes us into deep places sometimes so we can say, now I know. Now I know, George. <laughs> now I know, Eddie. I don't like those places, but I've been in quite a few of them. And now I know. Do you, ever, do you ever have something stuck in your tooth that you can't get out? Anybody got one of those teeth? Just a, you know, and you, have you ever ripped a credit card, or not a credit card, but a business card? Don't tell the person who gave it to you. But you know you're driving along in the car, and you rip the business card, and you're, you're in. You're, and you know what you do? You know what happens? You actually push it in. You push it in further. That never happened to you, or is it just me? And it's so annoying. Actually, this happened to me recently. I had to stop and run into a chemist and get one of those wee pokey sticks. I just could not cope. It was just so annoying. Sometimes, actually, sometimes actually, God allows us to go through things that are so difficult. that you're, you're poking and trying to get it out. And it feels like the more you poke at it, actually, the deeper you actually push it in. God wants us to go deeper. God's leading us into a relationship where we prayer becomes something of a mindset that becomes something that we do. Now, here's a few things about prayer, because I'd love you to think about this. I'd love you, I, as you go home tonight or today, here's, here's a little bit of homework. I'd love you to think, what are the anchors in your life? What are the anchors? Like, what are the non-negotiables? What if, if there was a stripping going to happen in your life? What, what could you not live without? Now, I know there's a whole lot of things you wouldn't like to live without. So if it's like your mobile phone, you know, come on. Or your car, or your house. Or, but what, 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 if, what are the anchors? What are the things that, that, that are desperately, desperately, eternally spiritual that you just, what are the anchors in your life? That's a really important question. So let's look at intercession. What, what is intercession? Okay. Here, here's a few little things that I think intercession is that might help us. I think that intercession can be defined as love on its knees in prayers for others. Intercession is always outward focused. Intercession actually leads us into the basic function of the New Testament. Prefer one another. Put others before you. And so, 
the prime example of this is Paul's prayer to both Ephesus and Colossae in the first chapter of, of well, chapter 3 and Colossians 1, where, and then there's another great prayer in Ephesians 1 where Paul falls to his knees and just prays in a powerful, consistent way for these people. So Paul's amazing prayers on this are, are very powerful. So intercession defined as love on its knees towards others. Secondly, I would say that it's, it's identifying, it's standing in the gap in pray, prayers for someone who is unable or not sufficiently capable um, to do so themselves. So Jesus' prayer in John 17 is a powerful example of this where Jesus actually says, Father, I pray for them, us, that you have given me, that they will love each other just as you and I love each other. What a, what a prayer. So it's identifying with the sins of those that you are praying for in, in a way. Um, sorry, I jumped one there. Standing in the gap, all right? To, to, so this is praying for someone. This again, is, this is jumping into the middle. This is standing in the middle. This is where, where Jesus does this between us and God, saying, God, will you, can, 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 we, can we intercede for them, all right? This one here is an interesting one. It's identifying with sin. So I, I've done a, a Job 33. So I have five kids, and I have nine grandkids, and every day I pray for them all by name. And one of the things I do with this one is I, I, I say, God, I don't know where they are tonight. I don't know what they're doing. But God, if there's anything that they've done maybe that, that has offended you in any way, anything, I, I want to repent on their behalf right now in Jesus' name. That's what Job did every day for his family. That's what I do for my family. I repent on their behalf. That's intercession, all right? Just in case, because every year, every year when the, when the high priest went into the, into the Holy of Holies, what he was doing, he was, he was into, he was into to offer a sacrifice for sins done in ignorance. Now, what that meant was people had sinned that didn't actually, there's sins of omission, sins of commission. So there's sins that you commit and there's sins that you omit. So you mightn't even know that. You mightn't even know. So, so sometimes, I, every day when I pray for my kids, I say, God, if there's something that I need to repent on their behalf for, that's what I'm doing. That's what I mean by that one. A great one is I, I've Acts 7, 60 there, where Stephen, actually, he's been martyred. He's been stoned to death. And his last prayer before he dies is this, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. So he's identifying with the sins of someone else and interceding on their behalf. Jesus did it as well, didn't he, on the cross? Very powerful one. And then lastly, um, the, it's per offered or directed by the Holy Spirit. So I, I put this one in because you mightn't know who you're actually praying for. Now, Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and, and, and follow me, all right? You, sometimes you might... There's always a divine result to this. I put in Romans 8 there. There's always a divine result. But there's sometimes God leads you to pray for people and you actually don't really know their circumstances. So, so if this were to happen, if people were to, if, if, if the Holy Spirit directed you, this is why I'm saying if you pray without ceasing, if you get into a, a place of praying in an intercessory way, God will begin to drop people into your heart. Now, we have a database. Those of you who are members of this church are on that database. That database just doesn't allow us to send you emails and all. That database allows us to pray for you. And sometimes what, what, what I do is I, I, run, I like it in print because I like to run my fingers down it. And I run my fingers down. I say, I say this sometimes. I say, God, 
Would you touch them just as I'm touching them physically right now? Would you touch them? Would you touch? And oftentimes as I'm doing that, somebody will jump out to me. Somebody like Jody and Jamie. God will say, oh, right. I don't know what's going on in their life, but I know that God has stopped me for a reason. God has stopped me. Fraser and Diana. God said, I need you you to intercede for them. Whatever it is. And that has happened to me with many of you sitting in this room right now. And that's what happens when you get into a place of intercessory prayer. God will begin to deposit. So if God, if you waken at 7 o'clock in the morning and God puts Johnny Greer in your heart, you should drop your knees and pray for him. He didn't do that for, uh, like, you don't think, well, thinking of Johnny at 7 o'clock in the morning, that's, well, can't even understand why that would happen. But, uh, you, you know, I'm, you hear what I'm saying? If God places somebody in your heart at 11 o'clock when you're jumping into bed, drop your knees and just say a prayer. It doesn't need to be long. Just say, God, don't know why you dropped them into my spirit, but I am interceding for them now. I have people from across the world who have said, Phil, I don't know what happened, but at four o'clock this morning, God woke me bright and breezy. He said, pray for Phil Emerson. I thank God for people like that. And eternity will probably only reveal that. So this is really important. Here's the thing. Now listen to me as I say this. I'm not apologize for saying this, all right? God is in need of intercessors. God is in need of intercessors for people who can actually change life situations, people who can, who can change circumstances, change with a fervent prayer. And, and if you don't believe that, here's the fact. God has given us authority through Jesus to change circumstances um, and, and work against the devil through intercession. Here, I, again, I could give you loads of scriptures. Here's one, John, uh, Luke chapter 10. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Is this saying you're going to get everything you want? No, that's not what this is saying. This is not landing you on every sandy beach like we talked about last Sunday. This is actually giving you power and authority to fight for others on your uh, on, on, on their behalf, which is very, very powerful. And so to be an intercessor, what actually happens is back to that co-partnering where we actually begin to be a participator. Hebrews 7 talks about this. It talks about Jesus ever living to intercede for us. That's what he does. And so as we begin to do that, what we do is we co-partner with Jesus. And so we begin to co-partner. And as our families get older uh, and, and grow up, we, this becomes all the more important for parents and grandparents to do this because there are two acts that continually happen before the throne of God. Hear me in this. There are two things that continually, daily happen before the throne of God. One is intercession and the other is accusation. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses us before God. And, but we have a high priest who intercedes on our behalf. And so we need to, we, as church leaders and as believers, we need to start to learn how to intercede. How can I pray without ceasing? How can I pray for my family? How can I get into a place where, you see, here's the thing, you will never read principalities and powers always go together in the Bible. You never read of one without the other. And principality is a Greek word, archai, where we get our word architect from. So it's a, a principality is an architect of evil. That's, that's what a principality is. The power is just a bull demon. 
So it's the picture of building a building. The architect comes in, he designs the plans, he does all the things, and the builders come in. They don't really know the outcome. They don't know. They've just got a plan, and, and the architect sees this beautiful picture. The builder just thinks he's putting bricks and bricks. The plumber comes in. They all do their bit. And so principalities and powers work the same. So there's an architect of evil that's working against you and against your family. He's out to steal and to kill and to destroy. And you need to know this. This is really, really important. And that's why, as people, we need to actually get into a place where we intercede. So there's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light that are both very active at this moment in time. Now, three important concepts in intercession that will be easy remembered. One I've called intervention. Intervention is to step into a situation with divine purpose in view, um, and, 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 and what you do is you intervene. You, you're, you're standing in, and you're, 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 by doing this, we put the power of darkness under our feet. So we're in, and we're taking authority in the name of Jesus. That's what intervention is. You're standing in, and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to intervene for what's going on in this family. I'm going to intervene for what's happening in this situation. And then I've called the other one an intersection. There comes a point where, where two roads meet, where you just say, you know what? This is not going this road anymore. I am not allowing this to go down this road anymore. I am going to, I am going to stand in the gap for this person, and I'm going to pray that it goes this direction. And then the third one, it had to be an I, sorry, is, is that interception where you actually intercept it and say, you know, enough's enough. And there comes a moment in someone's life where you just think, enough is enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not allowing this anymore. That's what intercession is. Intercession is bold prayers. Um, and we'll, we'll finish up with this in a moment because this is really important that we understand this. And then, basically, who, people, people say to me sometimes, Phil, I love all this, but who do I pray for? Well, the Bible tells us that we can pray for, for all people. You can pray for kings and for those in authority. There's something, there's, we, we've all people that we can pray for. I, 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 I'm a list person, so I like little lists. So, so Monday, we have a staff meeting here, and that's the first thing we do on a Monday morning. So Monday's my staff day. I pray for all the staff. I pray for loads of other things, but specifically pray for them. Tuesday, I have different meetings. Wednesday, I meet with elders. So I usually pray for elders on Wednesday. So a different, I'm, I'm just a little list person, and lists might help you, but there's loads of people to pray for. And again, intercession takes you outside what you're actually praying for, and, and, and you're praying for somebody else besides you. Sometimes you might know that person, some, sometimes you mightn't. God might call you to pray for a country or a nation. You might want to pray for Uganda, and you don't really know anybody there outside um, Pastor Richard, but you might just want to pray for the missionaries that are there at the moment, for circumstances to change in the country. Over and over again, we're called in the Scripture to intercede on behalf of people. And the Bible's full of this. The Bible, here's just a list. Abram praying for a nation, interceding in a bold fashion before God, saying, God, would you destroy the world for 50 would you destroy it for 40? Would you destroy it for 30? What about 25? Right down to 10 people. He just, there's a boat standing in the gap for a city. This is what this man done. Moses, 
for Israel over and over again. And then Ezra identifying with the sins of Israel, actually repenting for the sins of his fathers and forefathers. Elijah asking God to reveal himself to his people. Then we've got Daniel um, interceding for his people. And we've got Jesus for his people. And so we need to intercede. So when James sends out a prayer request for Friday night, and we know that the last Friday, a few Friday nights have been tough, what do we need? We need some intercessors. We need some people that will, will intervene. We need some people that would intercept. We need some people to say, enough's enough. That's not going to happen. We're going to take it this road. I love this picture. Comes out of Exodus 17. It's one of my favorite stories where Moses is called to intercede for, for Israel. And what happens is Joshua goes out onto the battlefield to fight the wicked Amalekites, who were a wicked group. And God says to Moses, you're not going to fight, Moses. I want you actually to climb the mountain, and I want you to raise your hands, and I want you to pray. There's something about raising your hands to pray. Something about, you know, when you watch the movies and the, the guy with the gun says, put your hands up. Why does he do that? Well, when your hands are up, you can't do any harm. When our hands are down, we usually get ourselves in trouble because we start fiddling and footering and we get into all kinds of activity. I say to people sometimes, if they're going into a difficult meeting, zip your lip and sit in your hands because if you move your hands, you'll talk. We all do it. It's true. It's true. And so, and so, so God says, I want you to raise your hands. Moses raises his hands and the Israelites are winning and he gets tired. You know, his arms get a little bit sore and he drops his hands and the Amalekites begin to win. You read the story yourself, Exodus 17, and Moses says, something funny going on here. Lifts his hands again and they start to, the Israelites start to win again. Drops his hands, they start to lose. I better get my hands up. So he calls his two mates, Aaron and her, and they come and they put him on a little stool and they hold his hands up all day long, and Israel totally prevails. Parents, grandparents, you need to get your hands up. You need to get your hands up. There's stuff tough in your life. You need to get your hands up. You need to get your hands up. Here's what happened. When Moses came down that mountain, actually, God spoke to Moses, and he said, Moses, I want you to write this in a scroll so that it's remembered. And he says, I want you to make sure Joshua hears about it. Read it yourself, Exodus 17. Why, why did he want? I want Joshua to never forget where that battle was won. I want Joshua never to forget where that battle was won. Was the battle won in the field? Well, it was, co it was, it was co-partnering, wasn't it? But it was won on the mountaintop. And if we are called to intercede, that's what we desperately must do. One more thing before we finish. Ryan, would you, would you give me a hand? One more tech? Can I steal you for one minute? I've just, all I want you to do is sit in a seat. Sometimes I think our prayer life's a bit like this, all right? Thanks, Ryan. Bless you, man. Sometimes I think Ryan's Jesus right now for the minute. He looks like Jesus, doesn't he? He could be either. He could be Jesus, he could be God, or he could be the Holy Spirit. Because we, we're allowed to pray to either. We can pray to either one. There's no problem. We can pray, God, I love you, Father, I love you. Jesus, you're so wonderful. Holy Spirit, come and flood me now. We have access to all three. All right, so we have access to all. Did you know that? We have access to all three. We have access to the Godhead. All right. So what happened when I was a boy? I gave my life to Jesus, and and God became. He sat on the throne of my life, 
I, I give over the rights to rule my life, and I give over the, the rights to him. That's what we do, isn't it? That's what you, we, as Christians we do. Here's what I've found happens in Christian circles is there's a honeymoon period. People get saved, and there's a bit of a honeymoon period. I think there's six or eight months. You might get a year, and then people start to go stale. And people realize this is no walk in the park, actually. This isn't as cool as I thought it was. And the old life is calling and things begin to call. And, and what happens is, what happens is we, you jump up there. What happens is we, we no, don't go anywhere. We, we actually, we, we take control back. Now, we don't let Jesus go too far. It's good to have him around. So he's just handy. Jesus is handy now. He's not Lord, he's just handy. And good to have around. And then things are going okay, and then you realize you get a, your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend says to you, I don't, I don't think I love you anymore. And you think, oh, wow, this, I thought I was going to marry them. This, oh, oh, this is really bad. Jesus, I need you back on the throne. Oh, please, God, help me get through this. She says she doesn't love me. And uh, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll take her out for a date. I'll take her out for a date. So you take her out for a lovely <coughs> meal and look out for the meal and look into her eyes and she tells you she loves you again. Everything's going great and three or four weeks later it's all back. You know, it's great. You know, that's good. That was good. That worked out right and well, didn't it? And you know, things are going great and things are going along great. And then what happens is oh, there's cutbacks at work and at last ends first out. Where was I? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me, please. I don't want to lose my job. I have kids to feed. And, and, and oh, oh, what? Oh, they've, they've led everybody off now. And there's actually, oh, I've got a promotion. Wow, that worked out better. Thank you so much, Jesus. That's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. You might laugh, but that's what we do. And then and everything goes along well for another wee while. And what happens is you get a bad health report. You know, you get the C words mentioned. We hate that word, don't we? Oh, cancer. Oh, Lord, please, I'm going for this test. Oh, come on, please. God, I don't, uh, please, I need you in my life. I need you in my life. And then it comes back all clear. Oh, thank you. That is so good. That is so good. Now, all the religious people in here are thinking you'd never do that. All the religious people are saying, that would never happen to me. Here's what you do, right? Now, sit on there. Can you sit in half the seat? Can you try this? Have a big bum, All right, this is what the this is what the religious people do. We we you know with time sure this is chair sure. Now this doesn't even look good, sure doesn't. It doesn't. I like this doesn't even make Jesus comfortable. And uh, thanks, Ryan. Thank you. You can see uh, you know. And so what we do is we go. That's how we. That's not praying without ceasing. That's jumping into prayer every time you think you need. God's not your lifeboat. God's not your fire escape. God is your Father. The Holy Spirit's not something you, you, you jump to when the chips are down. He is your co-partner. He's the one that you should be in relationship with. You know, the one that you could think of right now is the person that you'd love most to spend the next few hours with, the next few days, the next few weeks, the rest of your life with. You're sitting beside your spouse right now, and you think, wow, we're going to Tenerife in July or June. I'm so looking forward to have that time out together. That's what your relationship should be like. That's Because you're working at it, you see. And we work at our earthly relationships, and we forget to work at our 
heavenly relationship. Adrian's going to come and finish us with a song. Um, but my challenge is as we co-partner with God, as we get into this intercessory rhythm of <laughs> that hackling cough idea of praying without ceasing where it goes on and on and on and our life becomes a complete pattern for prayer and things begin to change. Something really happens. And I want to, uh, we, we sang that song, what a powerful name it is. I love, Adrian's going to finish us with that song. And I'd love us to declare that. What a powerful name we have. Remember, we have access to all three access to all three. We have access to the Father, we have access to the Son, we have access to the Administrator of it all, the Holy Spirit. And my thought is, if you don't know Him, if you don't know Him, if you don't know Him, you'll have little access to the other two. If you don't know Him, you'll have little access to the other two. He is the, he is the key to unlock. He is the Administrator. He's like the treasurer of the Godhead. And so as we allow him into our lives, as we allow him to change, as we allow him, as we co-partner, as we begin to intercede on behalf of these things, I tell you something, the power and authority that we have in intercessory prayer is unbelievable. Next week, I'm going to, sorry, I'm just enjoying myself far too much, sir, I'm a little bit over, but I was having a ball, sorry. Um, we're going to worship together, then I'm going to pray. Let's do that. Let's worship together. Let's stand and sing, and then I'll pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.